Oh, well, good morning again for some of you. First time for others. It's good to have you with us here t- today, especially our guests. Uh, if you are here the first time, maybe your first or second time, and you would like to get to know more about our church, or perhaps you would like to sit down and have coffee with me or a staff person, on the back uh, bull- cover of your order of worship is a QR code right there. You can scan that and fill in that information. And as soon as you hit that submit button, I'm actually one of the first people that form goes to. So if you'd like to sit down with me in any way, that's a great way to do it, and we'd love to find out more about you. Um, There's also some information for our guests back there at the information table. We have a free gift for you. We just like to get to know you and let you get to know our church and our passion and our desires, our our values. Um, We're going to be walking through the book of Colossians today, continuing our journey together. And today's passage is going to be found on page 10 in your order of worship. On the chair Bible there in front of you, that black book, it's found on page 924. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please take that one home with you as our gift. We would love for you to have that. Again, today's passage is found on page 924 in that Bible. And as we're getting into the spirit of this text, I want to say a word that's going to kind of divide the generations in the room. Some of you are going to be like, huh? And others are going to roll your eyes because like, that's so like 2015. Okay, ready? Here we go. FOMO. That fear of missing out. We can make fun of it, we can laugh at it, but it is powerful, isn't it? I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I was at our denomination's seminary taking a week-long class, and I was one of the oldest people in the class, and about the third or fourth time I felt myself doing this, I had to stop and rebuke myself. We would take a break, I would go to the bathroom or get some coffee or something, and I'd come back, and there would be a group of one or two or three students off in the corner talking privately with the professor. And I immediately be like, what is he telling them? What am I missing out on? How, were they excluding me? They do this on purpose? Like after the third or fourth time, I had to stop and be like, Sawyers, what is wrong with you? You were like almost 50 years old. You're the father of five children. You're the pastor of the best church in the PCA. Why are you such an insecure little toddler? But it's powerful, isn't it? This fear of missing out. Someone else is getting something I'm not getting. That fear is at the root of the book of Colossians in general, and it is definitely at the root of our passage today. So where have we been in Colossae so far? So Colossae is a tiny little town. It's the smallest town by far Paul ever writes to. It's, and he writes to a people he's never met, but he hears this disturbing report from their pastor that these false teachers have come in and they're disrupting this congregation. And Paul feels so strongly he's got to address it. These false teachers are coming in and they're basically saying, Jesus isn't enough. You've got to have Jesus plus this special stuff only for the elite few, those really in the know. And we have this mysterious secret to Christianity, and we will give it to you, but it's not for everybody. It's only for the special among you. You have to have only, a, only, a, only the special reserved few get to be right with God. The rest of you, you just kind of stay superficial. You're not quite yet qualified. And so Paul writes to counter that junk. But Paul has a significant credibility problem. He's in jail. Exactly. Yeah, we look, yeah, but it's the Apostle Paul. Well, that wasn't his first name back then, okay? He had a credibility problem. He was in jail. Christianity wasn't really on the radar of the Roman government yet. It wasn't officially illegal. He was in jail for technically other reasons, and he had his life of suffering. Every time he would go somewhere, it seems like people would throw rocks at him and run him out of town. And so these false teachers, all they got to do is point to Paul's life and go, does that look like victory in Jesus to you? Does that look like he really understands the gospel? Is he living his best life now? 
No. And it sounds funny when I put it that way. But you and I are so susceptible to this too. There's, there's this very subtle, isn't there, false assumption that creeps into Christianity that says when you come to Jesus, he'll fix your life. He'll solve your problems. That if you really get it, or my, my, I hate this phrase, if you're really living right, then you won't have as many problems. You'll have a struggle-free and a pain-free life. Or if you're not, well, Jesus wants to give you that, so you must be messing it up some way. Nowhere in the Bible is anything like that, but we kind of, that, that seeps in, doesn't it? We can kind of assume that. We think we're missing out when life is hard, and others seem to have a great life. They must know something about Jesus that I don't know, or I must have missed out on something because they seem to be doing much better than I am. Paul speaks powerfully to that to us all today. So with that, would you please turn now to page 10 in your order of worship, or page 924 in that chair Bible. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make known the word of God fully, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now this is God's word. Would you pray with me? Now gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us exactly as you wish to be known. And so we ask now that you would be true to your promise, that you would open this word up to us by your spirit and us to it, that you would do your surgery on our hearts and our minds, that we would repent and long for Christ, that we would see him in all his beauty. I pray that you would do this, Father, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to see today in this passage is that Paul rejoices to be expended so that they can experience and know the hope of Jesus and the energy of God's power in their life. I kind of want to boil this down to a theme, and here's our theme for today. It's this, having Jesus isn't a secret for the special, but a gift offered to everyone. We're going to see that repeated again and again in this passage. We jump in with joyful pain in verse 24. Look at me how it starts out in verse 24. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Out of love, Paul says, I gladly suffer for you. I gladly suffer on account of y'all. I'm glad to do it. The false teachers said Paul's suffering were evidence that he wasn't in the fullness, that somehow he wasn't varsity. Paul shows the opposite. Paul says, no, I rejoice. I'm joyful to be suffering for y'all. We could even translate this, I thrive in my sufferings. Oh, what medicine for today's sick 
world. That instead of eject toxic people immediately from your life, Christians are empowered to suffer them with joy. Instead of self-care above all else, Christians are empowered to thrive even while suffering. See, suffering doesn't rock Paul's foundation. But then the next phrase is, this is the part where people tend to freak out, right? Let's look at the rest of verse 24. Paul says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. What? Did did Christ not suffer enough? Is that what Paul's saying? Does Paul somehow have to suffer more in order to save the Colossians? Wait, does that mean that we have to suffer some to save ourselves? No, no. The rest of the Bible makes it so clear that Christ's suffering on the cross paid the penalty for our sin fully. Whenever you come to something that's a little weird in the Bible, okay, what I usually do if it's my personal reading, I skip it and move on. I recommend that. But if you actually want to stop and dig in, what you can do is remember a couple principles. First is this. The things that are really clear Those are your anchor when you get to something that's not unclear. And so often we want to reverse that, don't we? We we want to solve the Sudoku puzzle before someone else does. And so we find this weird little obscure thing and we say, oh, it must mean this. We make a really big deal of this, even though there's all this really clear stuff that says, "Mm, not quite. Right? We want to solve the puzzle. So don't do that. The clear interprets the unclear. And here's another one. This is a really important one. Remember, remember, Remember this one. Ready? Greek is not English. True story. Greek is not English. A a different language is much more than just different vocabulary. It's a different grammar system, and grammar systems represent the culture of a people, a way of thinking. The Greeks think about things, ancient Greeks think about things a little different than modern Americans. So what may be weird in English is absolutely not that weird in Greek. So what Paul is saying here is basically this. Look with me at the, girl, uh, the girls and boys version, the kids version of verse 24. It says this, I have joy for you when Jesus puts me in bad things because he hurts when his people hurt. See, what Paul is getting at here with the idea of somehow the suffering of Christ lacking is Paul's reminding them of the deep connection between Jesus and his people. That because of our union with Christ, when we suffer right now, Jesus suffers too. So since they're still coming, from Paul's perspective, there's still a lot of future suffering for the church. Therefore, there's still a lot of future suffering for Jesus because he's that close to his people. There's still suffering lacking in Jesus because his people haven't run out that clock yet. That's how close Jesus is to his people, that when we suffer, he suffers. This is a vintage biblical principle, that the God of Scripture is drawn to his suffering people. In the Old Testament, one of, one of the Lord's most favorite, it seems, ways to reveal himself, he calls himself over and over in the Old Testament, the father of the fatherless, the protector of widows. Those most vulnerable and suffering, he is right there with them. And then in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the head of the church. And when the body suffers, the head suffers. 
Or if that's not doing it for you, how about this? If you know the story of Paul himself, his conversion. Saul the terrorist was on his way to Damascus with official letters of permission to kill, torture, and maim Christians. And he was excited and ready to go do his job. He's knocked off his horse by Jesus, struck blind, and Jesus basically says, hey, why are you persecuting? And he doesn't say my church. He doesn't say Christians. If you know the story, what does he say? He says, why are you persecuting me? That's how close Jesus is to his suffering people. And that's what Paul's getting at here, saying there's still more suffering for Christians to come. Therefore, Jesus is still lacking in all the sufferings he's going to endure because he suffers now when you suffer. What an amazing gospel that God himself through Jesus would be so close to us that when we suffer, he does. Oh, if you're in pain... If you're afflicted, if you're not living your best life now, do you, do you hear this? If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, He's right there with you in your suffering. He saw it coming and He's been preparing to carry it with you. Oh, do you believe that? Paul's joy reminds us here that all love is based on sacrifice. Coming together with another person in a relationship involves a little bit of dying to yourself, a little bit of suffering, a, a bit of loss, but the joy gained is worth it. You know, as I was studying this this week, I couldn't help but just think of, of, of how applicable this is to marriage. You know, in my, in my career as a pastor, I'm usually one of the first people troubled marriages come to. And over and over and over again, I see something along the lines of either one or both spouses has reached the point where internally they just kind of make this decision, I am done suffering for this relationship. I will no longer suffer any loss for this person. See, but in Jesus, we can be empowered to have joy in that suffering, knowing that he walks with us and carries with us that pain. That is not just our difficult marriage, but Jesus is in a difficult marriage too. See, having Jesus isn't just a secret for the special. It's a gift offered to everyone. The next thing we see here in verse 27, we see, or, or verse 25 through 27, we see Paul calls himself a secret servant. He calls himself a minister in verse 25. It's literally the New Testament word for deacon. And it means waiter, like restaurant. It means a waiter, one who serves tables. That's what Paul calls himself. And just as an aside, as Donnie mentioned earlier, it's officer nomination season. And I beg you, for God's sake, literally, to nominate men who the word servant pops into your mind when you look at them. The word shepherd pops into your mind when you look at them. If the word accomplished comes into your mind when you look at a certain man, if the word respected, if the word leader, if the word influencer, if the word pillar of the community, if any of those words come into your mind, that's not a biblical qualification for officer. Perhaps you probably shouldn't nominate those men. And I can be real practical about this. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but your church staff is so happy. 
it is such a privilege to like kind of be over all these happy people. It makes the job really easy. And one of the reasons we're so happy is we get the privilege of implementing the policy of a bunch of men who love the mess out of y'all and want the best for y'all. And so they're like, here's the, go make it happen, y'all. We're like, we'd love to. You get us a bunch of men with the other description, they're all of a sudden gonna want like demographic studies. They're gonna want like statistical breakdowns of the congregation. They're gonna want TPS reports. Don't do that to us. Please don't do that to us, okay? Give us shepherds, give us servants. All right, so back to Paul. Paul was commissioned to be a waiter, he says. And he here says, I'm gonna serve up to you piping hot, fresh farm to table, the word of God, fully known. It literally says here to fulfill the word of God in y'all. Because remember, whenever you see the word Y-O-U in the New Testament, it's y'all. There's like three of them that aren't, so you'll pretty much be always correct if you just say y'all in your head. It's a community. It's plural. And Paul says what? There's no holding back for the secret, for the elite. I'm giving the full word of God to all y'all. So a couple years ago, a friend of mine took Nikki and I out to this uh, restaurant. We were in Columbia, South Carolina, and it was one of these Brazilian steakhouses. Okay, it wasn't the name brand, you know, Tejas de Brazil. It was some local chain. Anybody ever been to one of these things? I, come on, this class participation time. Yeah, okay. I got to tell you, you can tell, look at me, Sean likes his food. Um, Sean likes himself a Brazilian steakhouse. Okay, I don't know if, if you haven't experienced this, okay, so these cats walk around with these gigantic skewers of meat, and they'll come to your table, and they'll just cut off as much as you want, and they'll come back as often as you want. Now, I, I, I did find out the hard way. You can't take it from them and start chewing on it. They, they frown upon that one. You can't hold the guy's arm, and so he can't leave. They really get upset at that one. But they will give you as much as you want, as often as you want, the best cuts of meat right there. And that is what Paul is saying here when he says, I am your waiter, and I'm going to serve this up to you, piping hot and fresh, all you want, all the word, fully known, as much as you have, as much as you want. The false teachers are telling you they got to hold it back. It's only special. Only a little bit of people get it. Paul's like, no. All y'all get as much as you want. And then he gets even more direct in verse 26 and verse 27 with that word mystery. When he says mystery, Gen Xers like me, I immediately think Scooby-Doo and counterfeiters. But that's actually kind of close to what he's talking about here. The idea of a mystery in first century Rome was there's this idea of these growing mystery cult movements was happening under the empire in the first century. You can Google Roman mystery cults and find this out for yourself. All these like little things where you would step into it and then the further you got into this cult, the more you got into the secret knowledge, the special knowledge, the more you were an insider and they were outsiders and you had the secret to how life was gonna work. And so these false teachers are bringing in that cultural movement into the church at Colossae and saying, hey, we've got the mystery of the Christian cult for you. We've got the special, here's the real knowledge. Your pastor didn't tell you the full story, so y'all are just here at the entry level. We'll get you in so you'll really, really know. Oh, and don't kid yourself. We are susceptible to this kind of attraction too, aren't we? Back in 1944, way before social media and the whole FOMO thing, C.S. Lewis gave sort of like a graduation address to a group of students. Uh, you, can, you can look this up. It's a small essay called The Inner Ring by C.S. Lewis, the same guy who wrote Chronicles of Narnia. And in this address, he basically says, all right, young people, as you go out in life, 
you'll all of a sudden recognize that for your entire life you've been living in this series of concentric rings. And you'll recognize that they're out there in adult world too. And once you recognize that life consists of these concentric rings, of each ring there's an inner ring of people who know more than you, who have more influence than you, and you might think that they're more important than you. And once your heart realizes that, it will want that more than it wants air. It will want that next inner ring. It will want that next hidden knowledge. It will want to be that important person. Not here, but this person. He goes, he goes, but once you get to that inner ring, you realize there's another one and another one. And your heart is never full. You're always seeking to be more important, to be the person who's special, the person who's in the know. You'll never get out of that desire to be more and more significant. And we can so relate to that, can't we? And the false teachers at Colossae used that exact desire to sway these Christians away from the gospel. We know you want to be more significant, have the real knowledge. We've got that for you right here. It's not Jesus alone. Shh, let me tell you what it really is. And so Paul counters right here. He says, no, the real mystery is right here. The real inner ring, the real secret sauce is right there. He says in verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what Paul's saying is what was hidden in the Old Testament. It was there. We kind of had to scratch to find it. It's the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God's grace is now taken to the nations instead of being focused on one single people, that those who were not a people, a bunch of collection of random tribalist Gentile mutts like us, would become the people of God themselves. That by the work and suffering of Jesus, Jesus would be in them and they in Jesus. That's the mystery. And notice what he says in verse 27. It's Christ. It's not Christ in me. Don't read it that way. It's Christ in we. Literally, he says in verse 27, it's Christ in y'all. See, the ultimate ring, the ultimate inner circle is being united to Jesus himself. So that what's true of him is true of y'all. So much so that when y'all suffer, he suffers. Boys and girls, here's how we put it for you. Let's look, let's look at your verse 26 and 27 on page 10. Okay, It's about halfway down here. It says this. It says, God's special plan isn't a secret anymore. He wants his people to know all about how awesome it is that Jesus makes his home in his people, the church. See, it's not a secret. Now Jesus wants to be with his people and dwell among his people. It was only hinted at in the Old Testament is now real, boys and girls, that by faith, Jesus can live in his people. Oh, do you all know Jesus like that? Are you part of the people that have Jesus in them? You see, God is holy he is uncompromising in his purity. He doesn't just ignore sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He sees our sin and he has wrath for our sin and he curses us for our sin. What do we, he can't dwell with us. He can't abide with us. So to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, he's offered his son, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who did what? He perfectly fulfilled God's righteousness and he died for our sins to fulfill God's holiness. So the justice God demands, Jesus takes it for us. The perfection God commands, 
Jesus earns for us. And so in the gospel, our sins are given to Jesus. His perfection is given to us, and we are set free by his death and resurrection. And now through Jesus, we can be a purified, holy people, and God can dwell with us. That's the mystery, Paul says. You don't need anything else. There is nothing else. It's Christ in y'all. Because having Jesus isn't a secret for the special. It's a gift offered to everyone. And then Paul shows us a public declaration. Look with me at verse 28. What does he say? He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, we may present everyone mature in Christ. Notice, right First thing Paul does, right against the false teacher saying it's only for a special select few. Paul repeats the word everyone three times to make sure they don't miss it. That this mystery, this inner ring of Jesus is inclusive. Everyone gets it. It's not a set of rules. It's not a list of behaviors. It's not a list of voting patterns. It's ultimately about Jesus. Him we proclaim. Him we publish. We could translate it. Everyone, not just to those who have lived right, not just to those who are moral, who are religious, who are in our inner ring. No, everyone, 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 we proclaim Christ to them. And Paul tells us exactly what it means to proclaim Christ. He says, warning and teaching. Warning, we caution them, we admonish them, we tell them, your sins are killing you. Your quest for the inner ring in life is exhausting you. It's not fulfilling. Your heart is worn out. You know it. And it brings about God's wrath. Repent. And a lot of us tend to stop there. But Paul says, no, warning and teaching. Now that they've turned from, that's repent, what should they turn to? Well, let's teach them, Paul says. Let's instruct them. Let's give them wisdom to know Jesus, the one who lived for them, the one who died for them, the one who makes them righteous, the one who paid the penalty for their sins. You can know him. He can bring you in. Believe on this Jesus. That's warning. That's teaching. And why? Paul says, to present everyone mature. I love how the ESV tries to religious it up and say, let's translate this mature. Every other instance of this word, they translate it like it should be. Perfect. How's that to mess with your theology, right? Wait, Paul says he proclaims Jesus, so he can present us perfect? Well, that would indicate perfection right now. That'll mess with your theology, won't it? It means perfect. It means finished. It means complete in other words, forget what the false teachers say about he has to always be on this treadmill of getting more and more secret knowledge to get further and further in. He says, right now, in Jesus, you can be done, finished, whole. Oh, doesn't that feel good to say that? In Jesus, you can be whole. That's what Paul is telling you. No more striving to prove you matter. No more longing for fulfillment. No more wishing you were better or more accepted. Hear the proclamation of Jesus. Repent of all these false hopes and place your trust in Jesus, Paul says, and you can be done whole. Because having Jesus isn't a secret for the special. It's a gift offered to everyone. The next thing we see in Paul is we see the agony and the energy. Look at me at verse 29. It says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul toils. He says he struggles. It's literally the word 
agonizo, where we get agonizing from. Paul says, I agonize to bring Christians to maturity, wholeness. That they would know the mystery revealed, that by faith they would recognize that they are brought into union with Jesus so close that when he suffers, or when they suffer, he suffers. Because that's the gospel. You know, it makes me think of childbirth, Paul's image here. Obviously, I haven't done it. I've been very close to five of them when it happened. And you see this woman just giving her all to birth, this God-given treasure. That's how Paul relates to these Colossians. He goes, I'm giving everything I have to birth this reality of Christ in you for everybody. He literally says, I love how awkward this is in English. The Greek literally says, he's agonizing as God's energy energizes me. Isn't that great? I'm agonizing as what? As God's energy energizes me. In other words, the joy of his suffering, the hope of the Colossians resting fully in Jesus, it turns Paul from a prisoner into this. I want to show you a picture. Remember this guy? Right? Okay, so for those of you who are like, what is this guy? All right, so back in the 90s, you had this thing called television, and you couldn't fast forward it, you couldn't pause it, you just had to endure what was ever on, right? And if you didn't get it the first time, it was gone. Okay, you missed it, sorry. And this cat would show up in other people's commercials. Remember that? You'd be watching a commercial for, for Folgers, all of a sudden the Energizer Bunny would come across. And the whole shtick was these batteries are so full of energy, you can't stop this Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going and going and going. And that's what Paul says here. The joy of suffering for y'all's wholeness does for him. He has such energy because the gospel has captured his heart and it energizes him. What's captured your heart? What energizes you? What would your kids say to those questions about you? What's your default daydream? And not getting it becomes an instant nightmare. What's your inner ring that you're thirsting for? See, instead of agonizing over it, you can be set free by Jesus who agonized on the cross for you. Because having Jesus isn't a secret for the special. It's a gift offered to everyone. Well, let's wrap this up. <clears throat> Paul makes this sound so wonderful, doesn't he? he? Makes it sound so neat, so tidy, so, so attractive. But for those of us who are suffering, for those of us who are dealing with some serious junk in our lives, some disappointment, swimming in a world of various attractive inner rings that are always drawing our attention from Jesus, always offering us potential answers, this is hard, isn't it? It's hard to align our heart with the theology we know and so we need, again, to hear the proclamation of Jesus, the glorious mystery that He can be in us when we place our faith and trust in Him. That not only will He carry us through our pain, He suffers it with us. Oh, if you want that, you can have it. Now, Christians, it's not going to another Bible study as good as that is. It's not joining another religious activity. That's not going to be the secret to getting you into the next inner ring with Jesus. The mystery, the secret is that if you are in Jesus, you're already in the inner ring. 
You are in now, empowered by him, loved by him, cherished by him, being made perfect and whole in him. Believe that. Rest in that. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you can be free from the struggle to matter. The struggle of that next inner ring that's always calling to you to prove yourself worthy. You can be free. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. He'll fulfill you. He'll make you whole. He'll give you rest. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these passages like this that just challenge us straight up. Because, Lord, I know my idolatrous heart is always trying to find significance in being in the next inner ring, in the next special knowledge, being more important than somebody else. Now, Lord, would you give me and everyone here who's fallen into that trap, would you give us deep repentance even now? That we might once again, having been warned, place our faith and trust back in Jesus and being made whole. Lord, I pray for those here today who don't know you. That as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, shown to be crucified for sinners and raised for our new life, that you would be true to your promise to draw all people to yourself. Even now, Lord, would you cause many to repent and believe the gospel so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here as it is in heaven. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.